Creating your own reality. Is it possible for me? I am Jennifer Cahill, the Consciousness Architect, and I am here to tell you that it's not only possible, it's closer than you might think. Welcome to the show. Hi, friends. What a pleasure to have you back for another Regarding Consciousness episode. I am so grateful to have a dear friend, a mentor, a teacher, world-renowned thought leader, Jocelyn Herman Saccio on the show with us today. Jocelyn, oh my gosh, what can I say about Jocelyn? I think, if I'm not mistaken, she was part of a boy band called Boy Crazy with a K in her early 20s and became pretty famous in that short period of time, went on to create her own successful agency for booking actors in New York, and most prominently spent over 35 years developing programs for Landmark Worldwide, which is how our paths serendipitously crossed actually about three years ago, almost exactly. So Joss, you are a friend, a teacher, and now the creator of The Art of Being Unmessable With. I I will always remember you and I sitting in the guest room here at our, our house in Portugal, and you're like, Jen, thinking of creating this thing. I'm like, that is the best name for a program ever. And you are epic winning at it, my friend. <laughs> <laughs> it's so great to be with you always. Oh, I love you, my friend. So tell everybody, how did you go from being boy crazy, as we all are at some point? I was more man hungry. <laughs> the other girls were younger than me. It was a girl band, not a boy band. But the girls were like teenagers and I was in my 20s. So we always joked they were boy crazy. I was man hungry. <laughs> <laughs> so tell us. How do you go from being boy crazy or man hungry, (laughs) who runs a wildly successful agency out of New York, to being one of the foremost thought leaders in the world, having trained hundreds of thousands, if not millions of students around the world? How does that evolution happen? Becoming a singer was always a dream of mine, but I never thought it could happen because I was what I call messable with by a belief that I had that you can't do your art as your career. And I had a lot of evidence for it and a lot of starving artist friends, which I wasn't interested in being. And at a young age, I was running a company and producing television commercials because I wanted to make money. I didn't want to be a starving artist. And when I was five years old, my father was a painter and he had stopped painting. And he and I asked him, why did you stop painting it when I was five? And he said, because you can't do your art as your career. So I took that. It wasn't that he said that because he said a lot of things I didn't listen to, but I did listen to that. And I said it to myself and that became like the lid on what was possible in my singing career. It became, oh, I'm just going to go into business. I'm not going to be a singer. I'll do it on the side like a hobby. Then I was sitting in a transformative program in my early 20s and I saw that was a belief, not the truth. And it just loosened its grip on me. And within three months, I had a record deal. And then that record went number one. And my dream, it was like every dream I had ever had became accessible to me. Like I I realized that anything I wasn't able to manifest was only because of some belief that wasn't true. That unleashed a whole world of I want to make other people's dreams come true because This is, I can accomplish anything I want. And I did. I got married to the man of my dreams. I started having my family. I started my business and said, I want to do a business where I get to make people's dreams come true. So I became a manager for actors and singers. And I figured if I could make my dreams come true, let me help them. So that was that. But all the while I was involved in transformation given that was the birth of my dream coming true. And I led programs for Landmark for 30 years, as you said, and then I developed and wrote programs and trained people to lead programs and 
you know, I've probably coached about 250,000 people directly, never mind what happens on the internet, which is immeasurable, right? But the opportunity to develop people's ability to be unmessable with by those limiting beliefs, by their feelings, by their thoughts, by people, by circumstances, no matter what life throws at you, to be able to be unmessable with and fulfill your dreams now, not someday. So that became the pathway. Mm. And I want to pull it back for a moment, Joss. You brought up this idea of the lid on your career. And correct me if I'm wrong, I'm having this visceral memory of you and I being in class together three years ago. Was it you who told me the beautiful story about the fleas? And if so, would you mind? Oh, yes. Did you share that? That's a great story. Actually, my friend Charlene, I'll have to give the knowledge source, my friend Charlene, who's 86 years old, who is like the mother of transformation, as far as I'm concerned, one of my mentors, she told me that story because she is one of 12 children, the oldest of 12, 12 children. She grew up on a farm in North Dakota and they used to capture fleas. I'm thinking there obviously was not much to do on this farm <laughs> if what they were, their fun was capturing and training fleas. So how they do it. And I know nothing about fleas other than I had dogs. So I guess I knew that there were things called fleas, but fleas jump. That's how they move. Right. And apparently, statistically, a flea can jump as high as if you were jumping, if you were the flea to the top of the Empire State Building. So it's like proportionally to their size, they can jump pretty high. Right. So they're powerful. Fleas are pretty powerful jumpers. So what she would say is how you train fleas is you first capture them, which is not an easy thing because they jump in a jar and you poke holes in the top of the jar so they don't suffocate. You're not trying to kill them. You want to train them. So you get them in a jar. And at first they jump and because they can jump so high, they hit their head on the lid immediately because the lid is much lower than their potential. So they hit their head on the lid maybe once or twice, but fleas are really smart. They don't do things that don't work. So after once or twice, they'll only jump as high as right below the lid so they don't hit their head again. Now you can take the lid off because they will never jump higher than where they thought. The, I know this is oh, where cry. they thought <laughs> the lid was, which is not there in reality. But for them, that's it. That's the lid. And then I heard, I don't know if this is true because I didn't do any research on this, that their offspring will only jump as high as they jump. That explains life. Right? Can we just unpack that for a minute about the consciousness of only jumping as high as the resistance level we're met with? Heck, that is the premise, I would imagine, of the art of being unmessable with. It's definitely a lot of it because I always say, who's the flea in this story is you are the flea in this story, wherever you're limited or messable with. And everybody is. It's not because most of my clients, my one on one clients are very successful people, but they have areas where they experience being limited or like a lid is there. They're not fully free and able to manifest what they want to manifest. So working with people to dismantle, find what messes with them, dismantle it, disappear it, and have them create a whole new place to come from. Mm. But all those things that mess with, I mean, so many common themes of what messes with people, money, sleep, sex, those are top three, right? Negative <laughs> beliefs. Limiting beliefs, the negative self-talk, self-doubt, so many things, being judged, not being included. These are like theme kind of things. But all those things are reasons that people have for not accomplishing what they want to accomplish. And those reasons 
serve as a lid. They're like, this is the other analogy I like. I don't know if I've shared this with you before. It's like the fleas, but not really. So if you look, I know you live in this beautiful apartment. I've been there. It's like heaven. I would never leave that apartment. I would just order in all the time. I don't know why you even walk out the door, but, and it's very rarely a cloudy day where you are. Beautiful. But in New York City, sometimes there's cloudy days. And when there's a cloudy day, if you've ever seen a cloudy day, it looks like the clouds are solid. So they're like the lid. But if you've ever been on a plane, you go right through the clouds. And beyond the clouds, there's bright, open sky. The clouds are like your reasons. Mm -hmm. They're like your justifications. They're like your fears. They seem solid. They seem like immalleable. But if you just go through them, there's space on the other side. That's the principle of the art of being unmessable with. Oh, I love you. 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 And I think I hear audience saying, I love you. I love you. I love you. <laughs> Mutual. <laughs> Joss. Wow. Now I'm going to backtrack because I like to also hear the thoughts and concerns of our audience as they listen to this. And I hear the objections that people are putting out there. Joss, that sounds easy for you. I have reasons. I have five kids. I have to provide for my family. I have legitimate reasons. What you're talking about sounds like hocus pocus or magic. It's good for you that you can go through the clouds, but that's not for me. How do you respond to that? I respond saying I have three kids and I have a mother with dementia and a father with heart problems and a husband who's about to stop working for the last six months of the year and have to pay for an apartment in New York City. And I dealt with my mother having a stroke and my brother passing away. So being unmessable with doesn't mean you have perfect circumstances. In fact, that's like an absurd even correlation because it's easy to be unmessable with when everything's great. It doesn't take any muscle at all. And this is being unmessable with is literally a muscle. And it's a muscle that's atrophied for most of us because we're used to living in the world of reasons and scarcity and fear and all of that. But when you start to develop a new muscle, at first it's flaccid, right? And you have this overworking muscle for reasons and just, so you have to stop working this one and start exercising this one. And it really is a matter of discipline. And I've been doing this for more than 40 years. So I have a lot of practice and a lot of discipline. But when I work with people, it's anybody can develop this muscle if they have the discipline and they practice. It's That's all it is. So I support people in whatever their circumstances are, being able to not lose who they are, not lose their vision. Because when things start coming at us in life, and this is what I find with especially my very successful clients, they're great at dealing with stuff. They are. They're, that's how come they're successful. They deal with stuff. They fix problems. They solve things. They, they deal with life. But dealing with life is different than creating life. And when you're dealing with life, you're going down and in, managing. When you're creating, it's up and out. It's the space of vision. And that's what I do with people is to give them pathways and strategies to get from that world of reaction to the world of creation so that they might be doing the very same things, but it's from a different space. Okay. So let's go deep into this. Speaking of yes. down versus going up, yeah. how do we shift our consciousness from one of management to one of creation? What does that look like? First of all, it's awareness. So you have to be aware which world you're in. So I call it the world of reaction, the world of creation, right? So there's two different worlds. And then there's in the middle, there's just nothing, right? <laughs> which is a very high space of being. 
nothing. Most people can't tolerate nothing mm. for very long. But that's a super, super high evolved place to get to nothing. And it's the only place you can create from. You can't create on top of something. So when you're reacting to life, what I have people do is I have people, first of all, become aware when they're in that world, what is the red flag for them? What are their body sensations? What's the mood? What are the thoughts that come along with being in that world of reaction? So once they can start to get good at identifying those tells or red flags, as I call them, then they can catch before they go down the road of being messable with or reacting, they can catch themselves and take a moment because it, once you're down that road, it's very hard to pull yourself out of it. It just takes so much muscle. And if your muscle is new and it just takes too much, but, and that road is grooved. You know how, if you were in two different roads and like, there's a a paved road, it's much easier to go down that road than the one that has trees and bushes and you got to carve it. And so the road of being unmesable with is an unpaved road, but your brain is designed to survive, not to create. So you're surviving life going down the familiar path of reacting to whatever is happening or whatever you're thinking like that. So first you catch it, then you take, you come up with some physical activity to intervene in it. So sometimes people take a step out of the room or sometimes people take a breath that's enough for them. They Sometimes people have to physically move from where they are to interrupt the brain pattern because it is like your brain activity is just going down a road when you're reacting. It's automatic. It's like a default. So then they take a moment, whatever they do physically, whatever works for people to get to nothing. From nothing, you can choose. You can either go back down that world of reaction or you can create a new context, a new place to come from. What's your vision in that area? What's your dream in that area? What do you really want? Not what do you want because you've wanted it for so long that you think you should want it. And No, what do you want right now looking up and out in that area of your life? What's your vision? And then act from that place versus the place of reaction. So what does acting from vision look like? Let's see. I'll give you an example. So I have a client who has a seven-year-old daughter. And for some reason, her seven-year-old daughter triggers her quite a bit, right? So she's she gets messable with by her kid because her kid will say something like, that's stupid. And it triggers like past stuff of when she was a kid, not accepted, not included, not liked, all that kind of stuff, right? So she's been working on being able to identify that trigger because what she'll do, the reaction is to get nasty with her seven-year-old. Now, obviously, that's not what she wants, but it's just automatic. I'm sure that you find in moments in your life that when you get nasty with somebody, it's certainly not created. It's just a reflex, right? Mm -hmm. It's one of the ways you can tell that you're not in the world of creation. It's like you would never create that. It's just automatic. So she's now worked on being able to see the pattern, see herself getting chest gets tight, her face gets red. That's her physical red flag. She does a thing where she breathes. She takes a breath in and separates herself from it and takes a breath out and pushes it to the side. I think that's cool. I like that little breath thing because it's I can visualize it, right? So she takes a breath in, gets separate from it, and then pushes it to the side. And she asks herself, what's my vision with my child? What do I want? kind of relationship do I want with my child? What kind of mother do I want to be? And it's loving and listening. 
So she'll act from what would loving and listening do right now? And she might say to her daughter, you know what? I'm so sorry. Whatever you just said, I went on a little trip in my brain. What? Tell me again what you just said or something like that. That would be an action from love and listening. Or she could say something like, you're like one of the most important people in my life. I love you so much. And I noticed when you said that was stupid, I that kind of hurt my feelings. So what did you mean by that? You, do you think I'm stupid or the thing that I said was stupid or talk to me? And it's handled in two seconds, but it's from a different space than the nasty reaction, which is normal. It's not a bad thing. People are messable with. That's what it is to be a human being. But how quickly you can catch it, that's developable. Yeah. So how long does this take? Let's say somebody wanted to be unmessable with. Are we talking about years, decades, lifetimes? What? How does one, how, how do we harness this and get? It's never, it's a mountain with no top. Okay. So it's, how do I get my teeth clean? Do I brush my teeth for a week or a month or, you know, you brush your teeth for the rest of your life, but it becomes easier and easier. It's like a muscle. It's like any muscle. I have a program that I designed for people. It's only five weeks, but it creates a foundation for being unmessable with. So it gives you kind of the principles, the practices that you can start to practice on your own. But I, I do group coaching. I do one-on-one coaching. Whenever I sign a one-on-one client, I'll never do it for less than six months because it, you can't get the traction. Anytime you're trying to intervene in behavior and create new behaviors and new results, it takes really more than six months. And most people work with me more than six months, but I'll do a minimum of six months so that at least we can get some muscles built in that time. If you go see a trainer for a weekend, it's very different than if you're like, I'm going to give you a year and rework this body. It's just a different conversation. But I find that six months is like not too scary for people. I was like, give me five years of you. No, six months. Okay. I can commit to that. And then you see if it's something that you really want to develop, like doing yoga, you can't do it for a week and say, no, it's not for me. You got to give it a shot. Yeah. And if I may add just a little shout out for a course you recently invited me to attend, I was doing the one on the calendar and it really, Joss, I have been raving about you to everybody in this course. It's so powerful because two of my favorite things you said in the course, one was the fact that everything exists in our head and that our head is like this messy place that is filled with all this junkling around. So unless we get whatever our intentions are, transformation, working out, whatever it is, physically into our calendars, it doesn't exist in reality. So that was one. Two, my other favorite takeaway from that course was that we also need to give a context, that the context is decisive. We all fill our calendars up all day, right? All of our calendars are filled up with Zoom call with Joss, answer emails, do this. And yet you just feel oppressed by it. You feel it feels icky and yucky and you're resisting it. You're like, you can't make me my inner three-year-old. Yeah. <laughs> like, I just want to go outside and dance in the sunshine and eat ice cream. <laughs> and Don't tell me what to do, even if, though it's you that wrote the things in the calendar. It's <laughs> like, you you can't tell me what to do. <laughs> I tell my husband all the time, you're not the boss of me. He's like, yeah, neither are you. <laughs> <laughs> Very and true. Like, <laughs> and I say this though, because I love that you talk about putting context in there. So if you could just touch on that a little bit about 
why we need to have context and why we need to get out of our heads and more into the reality that we want to be designed. Oh, it's a big conversation. Now, why I even did that workshop, I did that for my private clients because every single person I was working with had this issue. And I was just like, I'm just going to do a workshop and one kill or feed three birds with one seed. So I, cause I hate that other saying, but in any case here, let me demonstrate what it means. Context is decisive. So in the context number, what is this? One. Yeah. You don't have to figure that out. It's not complex. It just shows up as a one. But in the context body part, what is it? Finger or index finger. Yep. And nothing changed in reality. Nothing. And in the context direction, what is it? It's pointing up. And to give those people who are listening on podcast, Joss has her index finger pointing upwards just to give context. Thank you for taking care of our listeners. Yes. So the point is that in reality, there's just whatever this thing is, right? The context is decisive in terms of how you relate to reality. So you're going to relate to number differently than you're going to relate to body part differently than you're going to relate to direction. So there's always a context, except mostly in our life, there's a default context, one that we didn't create. Mm -hmm. So I got to get stuff done is the default context for your calendar for the most part. I have so much to get done. I have too much to get done. I have, oh, I have not less to get done today. Whatever it is, it's all about getting stuff done. And that's what I was talking about. People who are really good at reacting. They're really good at getting stuff done. But that's different than creating. When I did the work with the calendar, it's, yeah, you could have a big to-do list that you're transferring to a calendar. But why are you doing those things? If you don't create a powerful context, the default context is there by default. So with working out, you could create on your calendar, creating vitality and then work out. So it's not just a to do, it's a to be. Mm -hmm. So you're creating the context as well as the content in your life, which leaves you as the creator of all of it. And that is what I'm committed to with all the work that I'm doing with people is leaving them as the creator of everything and every way of being and every interaction. And even though there are circumstances that you might not create, like your mother having dementia, you might not go, oh, I want that to happen. You can create the context in which you're dealing with it. I totally resonate with that, Joss. I remember many years ago when I was first introduced to Landmark Education, I was in a program they offered called the Introduction Leaders Program. And it was very intense and there was a lot of volunteering involved. And I had it that, oh, I was going to be this particular way. And you went to volunteer. So there was a parking garage you paid $3 (laughs) more. And across the road was this cafe thing. So my intention that day coming from who did I want to be in the world was I wanted to be grateful. That was my context. That was my come from the moment I woke up that day. So how could I see everything from a filter of gratitude? So I get there. I go park my car. Now, I don't park it in the parking garage where I'm supposed to. I park it in the cafe and I go and I do my hour to whatever it is of volunteering. And I come out to the cafe and my car is gone, parked right below the <laughs> tow sign. Do not park here or you will be towed. And in that moment, Joss, because the context was decisive, it was sublime. I was grateful. I said, wow. First, I called them. 
the tow company had towed my car a block away. No joke. It was like two blocks down the street. Like only you would have that happen. You're like a magic person. <laughs> so literally I had. Or they towed it to your house would be the only thing better. <laughs> I was like literally walking distance. So one, I had gratitude for the fact that they towed it a block away from where I was and I could walk there. This is before the days of Uber. I'm grateful that I was making so much money at the time that it was less than an hour's worth of my work to be mm. able to get that back. And three, I was grateful for the opportunity to learn that I was the cause of this. There was nobody to blame. Nobody put a gun to my head and said, go park over at the cafe and risk having your car towed. I made that conscious decision weighing the pros of cons of $3 versus parking at the cafe. And I did. And so that lesson in responsibility and accountability was worth more than the money that mm. I was getting the car towed. Yeah. Now, let me pull from what you said, highlight some things that you said. So when you woke up in the morning and created that context of gratitude, that was not the default way people wake up. Okay, so it's not like people wake up like the alarm goes and they're like, I'm so grateful that the alarm is waking me up. No. So people have to realize no matter how transformed or spiritual or connected and aware you are, there are defaults. If you don't create a context, there will be a default there by by default. And it's not like you're contextless ever. There's always a context. So if you're not actively creating one, you've got to assume that there's something there that you didn't create. Mm -hmm. So now you're living a life that you didn't create because the context, as you said, filters or is like a lens that has you see whatever happens and yourself and others through that lens. So it's got a blue hue. If you have a blue lens, everything's got a little bit of a blue hue. So if you create gratitude as the lens, that's the hue of your life. And you're the author of that because the context lives in language. The context isn't like this cup. It's not physical. Circumstances are physical. Maybe the car is a physical thing where the car not being there is physically not there. But the view, the lens is your creation. If you create it, if you didn't create that, I would assert it would not have been such a wonderful experience if you hadn't created that gratitude. Yeah, absolutely. In fact, the analogy I love to use, Joss, is the analogy of an NLP and different neuroscientists will tell you, you probably know more about this than I would. The brain per second receives billions with a B. I'm not saying millions. I'm saying billions with a B of bits of information moment by moment. And yet our conscious brain is only processing 50 to 120 bits, depending on which scientist you speak with. Now, what does that say? I like to say it's akin to imagining you're in the widest warehouse that you could ever imagine that is pitch black. And all Jen or Joss or any of you have out there is this little itty bitty miner's helmet. That's it. You just have a little miner's mm. helmet and there's a little light on it. So if you turn your head to the left, you're going to see the left. You turn your head to the right, you're going to see the right. Look down, look up, you get the picture. And the idea is what you're pointing your attention to is what you will be able to see in the world. Beautiful. Yeah, I get the analogy completely. I love it. Yeah. So back to you, my friend. I am excited. I cannot wait to do your Art of Being Unmessable course with. As I'm promoting it to everybody in my list, I have, as we're doing the show, I'm like, oh, I can't wait to email this person. And that person. <laughs> I'd love to have all of my friends do this class with me. So we have the class, Joss. I believe it's starting on March 16th, correct? Starts March 16th. It's 6.15 Eastern time, U.S. And it's an hour 
for five Thursdays and there's video modules and PDF workbooks and all the kind of goodies that people like to have in courses. But the live calls are primarily coaching. So it's live interactive coaching once a week and then the video modules and you get a video of the sessions as well so that you can review anything you miss. Amazing. So where do people go? <laughs> they go to the art of being unmessablewith.com and to the work with me page. So there's an early bird registration right now. Actually, I haven't even announced the course yet. So this is the announcement of the course. And next week I'm going to start promoting it. But right now there's an early bird registration where you save $200. So it's normally $7.99 and it's $5.99 for early bird friends and family registration. So it's up there, but not publicized yet. Amazing, my friend. I hope that each and every one of you out there gets to join us if you feel called to, or maybe just looking into the work Joss is doing. I know she does a lot of incredible workshops, courses, coachings, events. At the very least, sign up for her email list. Joss, you are a friend and inspiration. I am so grateful you have been instrumental in helping me. In fact, the other day, I was calling Joss for advice. We have our company, OM.app, OM.app, Optimal Math. Mm. And I was sharing with Joss, friend, friend, girl, I'm struggling. I'm like going out here to fundraise a million dollars. And she's like, I got your back and go read the book, The Soul of Money. And it's it's so powerful. Great book. I have, yeah, great book. I've been, wow, the story in there. I'm going to digress for one moment. Yeah. With shares where she goes to meet Mother Teresa, who is her hero. She is <laughs> there in India and she travels just to go meet her. And first she comes upon the nunnery and she's in the middle of this bustling Indian city. And there's a brown paper package on the door of this nunnery, like rolled up package. And it's a baby inside. And she scoops up the baby that's barely a few days a day old, carries it in, sits down, talks to Mother Teresa, and then gets interrupted by these flamboyant, tall, obnoxious, rich people who walk in and becomes embittered and enraged. And here she is with one of the most compassionate women. And then they come in and they bustle in and move her out of the way and say, Mother Teresa, let me take a photo with you. And they're moving <laughs> the face this way and that. And so she's just getting more and more irked by this and really frustrated. And yet Mother Teresa is placid throughout all of it. And so that leaves and she says goodbye to Mother Teresa and writes her letter a few weeks later. And she said, Mother Teresa, I just want to tell you how enraged I was at what happened with this. And as Mother Teresa writes her back in her own hand, she says, I want you to know, Lynn, I can see that you have great compassion for the poor and the needy, though I also invite you to have compassion for the wealthy. They are equally as lonely and sometimes just as needy and you don't see it. And I will always remember right where I was when I was ready. I was like, wow, we just yeah. I think the context really is decisive, Joss. Yeah, she's one of my heroes too. Both of them actually. Lynn Twist is one of my heroes and so is Mother Teresa. But Lynn is a master at fundraising and that's what you're doing right now. So, you know, it's funny. That's why I offered you that calendar workshop, which now is up also on my website. It's 20 bucks. So it's definitely worth doing. Worth doing, by the way. Totally oh my God. But I offered it to you because I could see you were in a disempowering context around what it is to raise money. And because of Lynn Twist and a few other mentors I've had in that world, I've been able to raise over $90 million for charities. So there, once you take a lid off, you can never unsee what's possible. 
Oh, I love you, my friend. I love you. I love you. I love you. I love you. I love you too. (laughs) As always, it has been a magical, incredible show here with Jocelyn Herman Saccio, the creator of The Art of Being Unmessable With. I look forward to seeing you for her March 16th class. And speaking of March 16th, we have up next week joining us, world-renowned medical medium, Kimberly Meredith, who has spoken on stages with Marianne Williamson, Michael Beckwith, and many others. And she will be sharing with us how do we awaken to our fifth dimensional superpowers? I hope you can tune in next week and thanks for being here. Thank you so much for joining us today for another episode of Regarding Consciousness with Jennifer K. Hill. We would love it if you would take a moment and write a review for us or rate us on Apple Music, Spotify, Amazon, or whatever your favorite podcast platform is. And if you'd like to stay in touch and find out about upcoming events with some of the amazing guests we've had on the show, like Deepak Chopra and other world thought leaders, feel free to join my email list at metabizics, M-E-T-A-B-I-Z-I-C-S, Dot com. Again, that's metaphysics.com. And you can go ahead and join our email list there. Thanks so much. And we look forward to having you join us next week.